the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to the Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. And if it's the first time you heard the show, welcome. We're getting new listeners apparently each you know week. And this show is in a couple of parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning, elder law, sometimes some other legal issues. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going to court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Um, the second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion, and, you know, we usually have interviews with people on different events. I think we're going to be doing religion, you know, on today's show. But in the meanwhile with me is Eugene Krivelitz, one of the attorneys in our office. who used to spend time at the Richmond County DA's office. Welcome to the show, Eugene. Thank you for having me. Okay. Now, I know congratulations are in order. You want to tell the audience why? Uh, yes. Well, uh, my wife and I just had a second baby. She was born on December 21st. A girl, uh, we named her Emily. And we also have a two-year-old. Um, her name is Melania. All right. Now, I think you have a question related to having a young child or children. Uh, yes. The question is, if you're a parent who has young kids and if you happen to pass away, uh, what is the court process to, to appoint a guardian for those kids. Yeah, and, and one of the things, there are two parts of it. One, you appoint a guardian, that's where the, who raises the children, who signs their report cards, where do they go to school. And there's also usually, if you're doing estate planning, there's a trustee who manages the assets for the children during their lifetimes. Now, ordinarily, you know, the guardian would go to the next relative. And, but in some cases, it can be tragically if something happens to parents, both husband and wife die in an accident together, which really doesn't happen very often. Occasionally happens, but really not very often. It might be the first relative who runs to the courthouse and gets the head start, whether it's from the father's family or the mother's family. And ordinarily, you don't want that chaos. You don't want the children to be, uh, uh, you know, part of a fight. And I hate to say this, and maybe it doesn't look good on a profession, but every once in a while, let's say if a husband and wife dies together in an accident, there's a big lawsuit that's involved, and the question becomes who's in charge of the money. And sometimes 
people are fighting not because they're really interested in the benefit of the the children, but who's going to control that lawsuit, which is going to be big bucks. Um, but you can avoid that if through your will you can appoint a guardian for the children, you can appoint a trustee for the children. And the guardian, again, would choose where the children go to school, where do they live, uh, who signs the report card, who signs papers if they go to high school or whatever. Uh, that is the guardian. The trustee is ordinarily someone who manages um, the money for the children. Of course, a lot of younger people say, well, I don't have to worry about that because if I pass away, I'm not going to have any money. Well, the thing is, if you pass away young, there's a good shot that there's a lawsuit out there, and that lawsuit may control a lot of money. And that's where our experience is, where September 11th was a very, very bad, terrible situation made even worse because you had younger people dying with huge cash settlements coming into their estates, and they didn't have any vehicle in plan. So let's say they had a million-dollar uh, judgment or a million-dollar payment that was going to their kids, let's say their next of kid, well, let's say the child was 14 years old, um, you'd have to go to court and get a guardian of the property appointed one, which is a court proceeding, or, or obviously we don't want to go through court, but then number two, um, the child would receive, let's say, the million dollars on his or her 18th birthday, and ordinarily, would you want a child to receive an inheritance on their 18th birthday? Ordinarily, you want to push it back a little bit. And that's one of the functions of the will. You can say, I leave everything to my children. And let's say if I leave everything to my spouse, if something happens to my spouse, I leave everything to my children. And I appoint so-and-so to be guardian of the children. I appoint so-and-so to be trustee to manage the money for the children until they're 21, 25, 30. I think most people right now on, on average uh, probably choose the year 25. And I know some doctors are telling me that 27 is a good age for maturity. So, but, but the choice is yours, but the thing is to make some choice to put somebody in place so we don't have chaos after you're gone. You don't want your kids to be, you know, wards of the court, so to speak. You want to choose the person who's in charge. Now, in theory, you can appoint a guardian through a deed, which I have really not seen it very often. In fact, I don't think I've seen it at all, but if, if you read the statutes, you can say you can appoint a guardian through a deed. Um, so I guess you'd be in recordable form. You appoint those persons to take charge. And this way, you're not going through probate if you want a guardian to be in place right away. And it's probably a good idea for those people who are worried about going through probate. Again, if you're married, you and your spouse are the parents of the children, I wouldn't worry as much about that because, again, it's very, very, very rare for a husband and wife to die together. Does it happen? Yes. But usually, even if it does happen, the cases where I know it happens, usually the, the husband and wife were elderly and, you know, like they both died of COVID, you know, which happened last year a few times, or they're in a fire together and they couldn't get out of the house in the fire because they were in their 80s and couldn't move too quickly. Um, very rarely does a healthy young husband and wife, do they die together in an accident? You know, people always talk about plane crashes, but for the most part... If you're flying in the United States, there are not really that many plane crashes on commercial airlines. So, you know, it's, but still, it's always good to have a will to appoint the people to be prepared. You always should be prepared. You don't want your kids to be left in limbo. You don't want them to be wards of the court. So basically, we, I, you appoint a person, if something happens to usually husband and wife, 
You appoint a person to be guardian, and then you appoint a person to be trustee to manage the money. They can be the same person or two different people wearing two different hats. A lot of cases we have somebody, let's say, from the husband's family perform one job, and you have somebody from the wife's family perform the other job for checks and balances. But that's up to you. That's a decision. And, of course, a good plan, we always think of backups. We always think of backups. Now, if you have a child that's, you know, 18 years of age, maybe we're not as worried as a backup as if we had a child of, you know, two or just born. So, but the main thing is if you have small children or if you have children under the age of 18 years, you want to appoint a guardian for them. If they're over 18, we're not worried about a guardian because then they, at 18, they're emancipated and they can make their own decisions. But you still want somebody to manage the money for them until they're whatever age you think. And you can do that through your will. And as far as your, uh, you can do it through a trust if you want to appoint a, a trustee to manage things, if you want to avoid probate, and then you would do a deed to appoint a guardian so you wouldn't have to go through probate in that case. Um, and if, if you want to schedule an appointment to talk those things over, you can give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Now, Eugene, you worked a couple of years in the um, Richmond County DA's office. Now, we're all reading the newspapers or watching TV. What's going on in, in New York County in Manhattan? What is the DA saying? I mean, as far as uh, I can tell, it's pretty chaotic right now. I don't think too many people understand exactly what the DA is saying and how that will be put into practice because I don't think some some of the suggestions or at least the goals set forth by the new district attorney um, can be applied. For example, downgrading armed robberies to petted larcenies. Um, so I'm not sure how much of that will be put into practice, how much of it is just political talk. But uh, obviously, I think if the entirety of his suggestions or his goals are implemented, I think uh, Manhattan will be in some trouble. And I don't think it helps public safety in any way. No, I know there's a lot of confusion, and I hope some of the things I've been hearing are not true. But in theory, if somebody, let's say, goes into a bodega with a gun, they don't use the gun. They don't fire the gun. That's not. They're not going to be prosecuted as felons. As far as I understand, that's correct. It would be a misdemeanor, a regular petted larceny misdemeanor, as long as there was no substantial threat of bodily harm, as I understand, that that was part of the memo circulated. But if you take a gun out, I think you're implying there's a threat of bodily harm. Plus, not only that, how does the bodega owner react? Let's say he has a gun. I mean, obviously, you go and you, you pull a gun to commit a crime, you're putting a lot of people's lives in danger, which is why in the old common law we used to have felony murder. If anybody got hurt when you started committing a crime, it was if it was your fault, you could be charged with murder, even if, let's say... You were doing a robbery, and the police came in and shot the store owner by mistake. You still could be charged with his murder because you created the situation that led to the chaos. And I don't know what that would happen now because, in theory, if the guy didn't fire his own gun, he hasn't committed a felony, so uh, he can't be can't be convicted of felony murder. I agree. I mean, there's so many repercussions to, to this kind of change. Also, how do you apply it equally to everyone? I mean, you're leaving those decisions in the hands of prosecutors to decide which people get charged with a felony, armed robbery versus who gets charged with a you know, misdemeanor, stealing from, from a store. And, and you're applying the law 
that's on the books different to different people based on, I mean, discretion of the, the prosecutor. Yeah, and of course you're talking about a countywide prosecutor. You're talking about an important county yeah. in this country, maybe one of the most important counties in, in the United States. And, you know, this is also, this guy was backed by George Soros, which he's a more dangerous character than a lot of people, you know, take. Um, he, you know, if he makes a, a million dollar contribution in kind or whatever to a DA's race, most people don't know when they're voting for DA who they're voting for. And so if a guy gets a million dollars and he can do commercials and get mailings and stuff like that, he's got a good shot of winning because his opponents are not going to raise that kind of money. And then people really, I hate to say it, people don't care when they vote for DA. And of course, if you win the Democratic primary, you're going to be a DA in, you know, four of the counties for sure. The fifth county, Richmond, depends. But right now we've got a Democratic uh, DA in, in Richmond County who's taking at least a harder stand against crime right now than, and he, he's made a point to say he'll, he'll not change things in Staten Island, Mike McMahon. Um, what, if you were a career prosecutor in Manhattan, what now, what, what would you be thinking? What would you be doing? I would have to take a serious look into, uh, considering whether continuing to stay as a prosecutor would be the correct choice. I know most people go into that type of work being a prosecutor, uh, because they have strongly held beliefs in criminal justice and in holding people accountable for um, criminal acts. And I'm not sure how uh, the proposed changes, uh, which essentially mean not complying with the past laws, instead of changing laws at the legislature level, you have a prosecutor deciding not to enforce those laws. You know, I, I'm not sure how the prosecutors will feel about that. I'm not sure how the prosecutors will feel, you know, how that, what that means to their career, to their work. These are serious cases. These people have spent a huge bulk of their lives learning, working at the office, and now we are asking them to set the legislature, set the statutes aside, and completely change what they have been doing for the past, you know, how many decades. Yeah. Well, the... There should be a change in the way the public views elections in New York City and New York State. And you got to rethink your, you know, what you're doing. Because we, we voted for a legislature a couple of years ago that basically you can commit, you know, crimes. You can rob a bank and be out on bail in a couple of hours. And, you know, it's just, it's a crazy world out there. And part of their craziness is because people are not thinking, not voting in local elections like DA, state legislature, state assembly, state senate. So, you know, maybe you should think next time you vote, maybe you should vote instead of staying at home because a lot of people don't vote in, you know, local elections because they're not motivated. They vote for presidential elections. They might vote for gubernatorial elections. But a lot of times in, in local elections, they just don't vote. Now, Eugene, again, can you, you know, as we do every week, can you tell the audience a little bit about your background? Uh, I graduated law school, New York University, in 2015. Uh, after graduating, I worked in civil practice, um, primarily doing real estate law, landlord-tenant law. Uh, in 2019, I started working at the Richmond County District Attorney's Office, where I worked for two years. 
And then in 2021, I joined Connors and Sullivan. And do you speak any other languages besides English? Uh, yes, I speak Russian fluently. Okay, and how did you learn how to speak Russian? I lived in Belarus until I was 11 years old, where uh, we learned Russian in school and Belarusian, but everybody primarily spoke Russian language, um, so I'm able to read and write in Russian. Do you have relatives over in, in Belarus? Uh, I have some. The vast majority of relatives on my mother's side now live all over the United States. Uh, on my father's side, I do have some relatives in Belarus, some in Poland, some in all over the place, but still back in Eastern Europe for the most part. How much do you hear about the political situation between Belarus and Poland? I, I, I read some in the newspapers. Uh, I don't speak much to my relatives back there about it. Uh, I, I, I talk more about the Ukrainian situation. My wife is from Ukraine. Um, so we, uh, she has some relatives on her mother's side back in Ukraine who have very strong beliefs about what's happening. I think most Ukrainians do, one side or the other. Yes, it's they're very um, passionate about it. You have a lot who are very pro-Russia, and then you have some who are very nationalistic, pro-Ukraine. Um, and it's based on regions, I would think. Yeah. All right, Eugene, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. 
now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of, of Ask the Lawyer. And you know, every, every once in a while we to, do talk about religion on the show, and we're very pleased to have Professor Molnar back again, um, who, who was on before. Now, you have a book coming out right now, Professor, right? I do. And the name, Freedom, Necessity, and the Knowledge of God in Conversations with Karl Barth and Thomas F. Torrance. Who were those gentlemen? So, uh, of course, Karl Barth was probably the most famous theologian of the 20th century. He was a Swiss Reformed theologian. And uh, Pope Paul VI said of him that he thought he was the greatest theologian since Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century. So that's a pretty big compliment, to put it mildly. And the truth is that today, uh, both Catholics and Protestants are said to have to go through Bart, not around him, to do modern theology. So he's a very significant theologian. And Thomas F. Torrance uh, was uh, dubbed, and not just by me, I, I had written a book on uh, Torrance entitled Thomas F. Torrance, Theologian of the Trinity, that was published in the Ashgate Great Theologians series. And um, um, Torrance has been dubbed the greatest English-speaking theologian of the 20th century. And I think that's quite accurate. And lucky for me, uh, I worked with uh, Thomas Torrance's son, Ian Torrance, uh, who was editor of the Scottish Journal of Theology for, I think, 35 years. His father founded that journal, in 1948, and it is considered one of the leading journals publishing biblical and systematic theology today. And uh, his son, Ian, uh, uh, um, was able to have his father come to St. John's to speak uh, back in 1997. And it was a really exciting experience. And uh, that's when I got to know uh, Thomas Torrance. He said, call me Tom. And I had read He'd written many, many books. I'd read his books and was very impressed with his theology. So I had a very, a very difficult time calling him Tom, but mm-hmm. eventually I did. And um, and then we after after he was at St. John's and I got to converse with him and know him a little bit, uh, we discussed many topics. And then um, when he went back to Scotland, we exchanged uh, lectures that we had written, papers that we published, and we really be, became very friendly. So I so it was a privilege for me to get to know Tom Torrance, and so, um, so having uh, writing this book, Freedom, Necessity, and the Knowledge of God, in conversation with Colbert and Tom Torrance, is really important to me. I should also mention that Torrance was a student of Colbert's. He did his doctoral de- thesis under Colbert, and uh, his thesis uh, was published 
as I think the doctrine of grace and the apostolic fathers. He eventually wanted to do this big work on the Trinity, and Terence told him he was too young to do all that at that time. Uh, but eventually he wrote three fantastic books on the Trinity that have been very influential on many theologians. And right now there's not only the Carl Barth, the Carl Barth Society of North America, I'm on the board of directors of that group, there's also a Thomas F. Torrance Theological Fellowship with, I think, now 400 members uh, worldwide. And I'm on the board of directors of that group as well. And um, so uh, we just uh, look at the importance of their work and, and and see how their insights can help modern theologians think more accurately and more deeply about who God is as, as, as uh, the eternal trinity who encounters us in his incarnate word and through the power of the Holy Spirit and what difference that makes for, for theology. Is that is that too long an answer? A little long? Well, yeah. You know, at least you said since St. Thomas Aquinas, so our Dominican friends won't, won't be too upset with you. No, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so, no. Yeah, Michael, maybe Father Gillen, speaking of Dominican friends, you wanted to get him back, you wanted to get him on the Absolutely, show? Absolutely, at some point. Yeah. <laughs> well, a discussion, no. a discussion, a conversation. Yes, it sounds. It could turn into a debate, though. Quite, you know, well, yeah. these things happen well, in theology on occasion. Do you know anything about Star Wars and the theology of Star Wars? Do I? Yes, absolutely nothing. The same here. So <laughs> we we can sit on the sidelines for that one. <laughs> although, now, although I know one thing is for certain that if you're naming God the Force, may the Force be with you. You haven't understood the Christian God. That I can say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I agree with you, but that's besides the point. You know, now this is a conversation I think to some theologians may sound silly, but I think a, a lot of people, laity in the church, discuss this all the time. And, and there are two questions. One, is there any reason why priests, Catholic priests, cannot marry? Now, by a reason outside of the fact that right now there's a papal decree saying they can't, but is there any theological reason? The, uh, theologically, no. The answer is. is a flat no, um, and and in fact, you could make a case why it might be better if priests could marry in many respects. Um, uh, the, uh, it, it was a that was the law of the of the church, right? Now right. I don't know the exact history of it uh, when it came in or or exactly why it came in, but I I think some of the reasons were because I myself had been in the seminary at one point. I think some of the reasoning behind it was that if you're not married, then you can vote, devote yourself entirely to Christ, the gospel, and the church, and you won't be encumbered by other cares, cares of the world, right? Like needing to have a job to support your wife and family and that sort of thing. But one could all equally make the case that maybe if you were supporting your wife and family, you'd have a better understanding of wife and family and how to care for them pastorally as well. So... Um, and then maybe a lot of these issues that have come up in recent years, you know, with the, you know, clergy abuse, might might not have come up the same way. So, uh, so the, the the direct answer to your question, though, is is there any reason theologically why uh, um, priests would have to be celibate? No, uh, the the it's uh, the reason was I think more of a, a, a practical uh, decision that. The, the priests would be more able to be more fully and exclusively devoted to Christ and the gospel if they didn't have that encumbrance, right? Right, and um, also my understanding is, you know, the weakness of men or whatever, but that some of them would divert church funds either through death and a will and inheritance 
to their family where maybe the, the intent of the gift was to benefit the church, and then some people were using it you know, to benefit their families, which right. is only human nature. You yeah. want to take care of your family. Well, of course, that's right. You know, and I, I think that was one of the reasons why. Why the, they put it in the rule of celibacy. Celibacy, yeah. So, but it is a rule of the church. So it's not, an, an, as far as I know, it's not an infallible teaching or anything of the sort. And it's not it's not absolutely grounded in the Bible. Although, you know, St. Paul himself uh, uh, seemed to be of the, of the view that... Uh, with the closing of the age, you know, marriage was not an absolute necessity. And it isn't an absolute necessity. I mean, there are plenty of people who've never married, who've lived really good lives uh, doing whatever they do in their lives, whatever profession they take, whether it, whether it's ministry or not. I'm going to ask you a stupid question. Do you know when St. Peter was no married? No such thing. St. Peter was married, obviously. Was he widowed? What Does anybody really know the... The, the truth of that like where uh, was his wife when Jesus was preaching uh, honestly his ministry? Uh, that's not something I know. yeah I know I don't think anybody knows the know answer anything. I don't know the answer to that you know but uh, no. you know and of course we do know I mean some of our French Ukrainian priests get married sure and they're and, within and, the right the, the the eastern right of the Roman Catholic Church of right. the Rome of the Roman Church and I then in say. the Roman Catholic Church we've uh, brought in Anglican priests uh, who um, function as priests within the Catholic Church. So the fact that those exceptions are there show that there should be no problem with having married priests. I mean, it would it would uh, lead to it would require major structural reforms, though, with the way the Catholic Church is at the moment, right? Yeah, because priests right now they really don't earn enough of a li- living right. to support right. a family, so let alone support themselves if they had. That's to. the problem. So so uh, maybe it would be too too expensive. I don't know. Um, uh, you know, because, you know, when uh, in a, if you're a Lutheran minister or an Anglican minister or a Presbyterian minister, you have to have a call of a local church and then they support the minister, right? Right. But in the Catholic Church, you have several priests on, on staff for each parish. That's much more expensive. So how do you deal with that? So this is a practical issue that would have to be dealt with. And... Um, at the moment, there are enough problems. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what. As my brother once said, when I said something to him uh, about a health issue, he said, "That's number five thousandth on my list of priorities." So I, 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 that could be around the same level, for, you know, for for the Catholic Church at this point, you know, because there are quite a few other issues that are out there. Right now, one of them, you know. Should women be allowed to be ordained as priests in, in, in the Catholic Church? And I think some people might be surprised at your answer or your thought on it. So uh, my answer is uh, that there's absolutely nothing in the Bible and no reason at all why they shouldn't be. However, I think the problem is, at least it was seen by John Paul II, I think in certain ways, as a political issue. He read... The, the feminist theology and many of the feminist theologians some are really quite good obviously and quite faithful to the gospel but quite a quite a few um saw theology as a as a way of using theological categories and therefore ordination as as a way uh, to uh, to ascribe power to women over against the power of men so immediately there's a problem there because it puts people in conflict instead of basing the reasoning on the truth of the gospel, which is that since Christ died for the sins of everyone, 
uh, then men and women together are baptized in, in, in Christ and therefore can equally serve God as ministers of the church. There's no reason why that can't be so. And um, I'm thinking of a pamphlet that Tom Torrance wrote on the ministry of women in the church. And he's, he argues in places in that pamphlet, I think quite correctly, that that uh, I think his text is Genesis 3.16, where it says women will be made subordinate to men. And he says that that passage has now been corrected in light of the fact that Christ died for our sins. Because that kind of thinking which would engender patriarchalism and the subordination of women, and therefore the claim that women could not serve equally with men in the church, has been overcome in Christ. Since in Christ, St. Paul said in Galatians, right, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free. Now, he didn't mean that there was no gender distinctions. That would be silly, right? He meant mm-hmm. that you couldn't use those as as political tools to for one uh, group to have superiority over the other group. Because in Christ, we are equal in relationship with God because we're all saved by grace through faith. And that was his point. So, so that being the case, Torrance argues that women should have ministry in the church and that it's a mistake to exclude them from that ministry. Now, there, this is not so easily solved in the Catholic Church. Uh, I'll tell you a little story <laughs> if you want. Go ahead. But some years ago, I went up to Fordham, which is, which is my alma mater in the sense that I, I earned my PhD from Fordham in 1980, a few years ago. And this is probably, it's got to be 10 years ago. And uh, Avery Dulles, who was a good friend, was giving a, a lecture on the possibility of women being ordained priests. And to make a long story short, his argument was that the, the way Pope John Paul II at the time had understood things, it was a nearly infallible statement that women could not be ordained priests because they could not correctly image Christ, who was a man. And uh, he got quite some folks in the audience were quite riled up at that. It's not a very good argument. <laughs> they should have been riled up at that. An old professor of mine was sitting in front of me, and he he questioned him and was pretty rough on him, and rightly so, I think. So so uh, that was his take on it, right? But I don't think that's the right. I don't think that's the right approach at all, uh, because because. If if the model for being a priest has to be the fact that Jesus was a man, then as a friend of mine who used to teach at, uh, I think still does teach at Loyola uh, uh, University in Maryland, said, well, then by that token, then only Jews can be ordained priests, right? Because Jesus was Jewish. So it, it just it, it mixes up the whole issue. You know what I mean? And and it really it really goes at it in a kind of an almost legalistic way uh, that misses the point. It's not the fact that Jesus was a man that determines who God is and what saving grace is. It's the fact that God, in assuming humanity into union with himself, overcame our sinfulness in this particular man for, for all of humanity, including men and women, equally. Now, if that's true, which it is, right, then then there's no reason why women could not be ordained priests. But again, I do think that John Paul II saw this as a political issue. And part of the the difficulty is that a number of women writing on theology tend to take a pantheistic or panentheistic view of things and tend to use theological concepts as, as tools to achieve 
political power and social power and so on. So uh, uh, just one brief, simple example. Um, Elizabeth Johnson, a very nice person. I met her when she came to St. John's to speak. She wrote this uh, now by now famous book, She Who Is. Uh, and her basic argument, if I can simplify it, is probably not a good idea, but I'll do my best not to do away with her point. Her basic argument is that the symbol God functions, and we today must make it function to overcome patriar patriarchalism and to include women. And the only way we can do that is if we change the symbol from from the male categories, father and son, to female categories, such as mother and she who is. And my argument against that is uh, that uh, that would only work theologically if the truth of our knowledge of God came from us and the way we employ our symbolism. But it doesn't. It comes from the revelation of God who meets us in his son Jesus Christ and who justifies us and sanctifies us in him and, and thus transforms the, the original meaning of our concepts that, as we use them to point to God's eternal existence in such a way that we recognize that God is Father and Son in a unique sense, but without gender and without any idea that we can mythologically pro project our understanding of who God is from ourselves. So the real issue here is is almost a political and theological one at the same time, right? Because Because if the truth does not come from us, then Elizabeth Johnson's claim that we can overcome patriarchalism, which we all agree is wrong, right? Uh, by cha by changing the symbol God, it's wrong on two counts. Number one, she thinks that that the truth of the symbol came from males in order to dominate women in the first place. What's the mistake there? It's a big mistake. The truth did not come from males. It came from God, first to Moses and his descendants, when he revealed himself as I am, and then through Jesus Christ, who spoke quite clearly in the New Testament as I am, right? When he said before Abraham was, I am. And the many other phases in John's Gospel, for example, where he appropriates that name to himself. That was not lost on his fellow Jews, <laughs> what he was claiming. Uh, so, but here's the point. If that's true, then God's name is the Eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into whom we are baptized. We're not baptized into holy mystery. We're not baptized into what Rana calls the nameless. And we're not baptized into she who is. Not that that's a slight on women. It's just that you can't read. Uh, first of all, Elizabeth Octemeyer, really quite good biblical scholar, said that Israel never called God mother or goddess as the, their neighboring religions because that always brought a pantheistic view of the God-world relation into the picture, which Judaism rightly rejected. But the main point is, it brings an arbitrariness into the picture of God that comes to us from the Old Testament revelation, meaning that only God can name God, and there is no God other than Yahweh, who is the Father of Jesus Christ in eternity and in, in, in time. So so here's, here's the deal. Uh, the fact that Elizabeth Johnson thinks that we can heal people's minds and hearts by changing the concept of God misses the whole point. It just exacerbates the issue because it suggests that we have the power to do something we don't have the power to do, number one. But more importantly, it misses the fact that the, the horror of patriarchalism, and I call it horror because men should not be subordinating women, right? And, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, the, 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 the horror of patriarchalism 
it's not a horror that we can overcome by thinking we can heal people's minds by the way we think and speak because we can't because we're sinners just like everybody else the healing has already come to us in god's forgiving grace as it meets us in jesus christ if god was in christ reconciling the world to himself corinthians two five uh, is it two corinthians five somewhere there and it's in paul's letter to the corinthians uh, if god was in christ reconciling the world to himself then we can take it that the sin of patriarchalism and the problem indicated by Genesis 3.16 has been overcome by God himself in Christ. So we don't need to rename God for women to have equality in the church. And if we live by the grace of revelation embodied in that act of forgiveness on the part of Christ, if we really allowed that to be our starting point and criterion for the ordination of women, then it wouldn't have to become a political issue and you wouldn't have to worry about it. Does that make sense? Yes. I have a question. I've understood, and, and other people have told me this, that the Orthodox churches, Russian, Greek, whatever, are, if the Roman Catholic Church ever made women priests, that would make our split even more irretrievable than, than before. That's a, that's a really great question. Um, I won't mention names, but a person who, who edited a volume uh, speaking the Christian God, the Holy Trinity, and Christian feminism. I won't mention his name, but he was an Anglican priest. And uh, I guess he got to know my writing after I did that book on Torrance. He called me up once, and he was uh, saying, well, the reason the reason he left the Anglican Church was because they ordained women. And so he came to the Catholic Church because they would never ordain women. And that, for him, was the was the be-all and end-all, right? The, 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 the high watermark of, of the whole thing. So I said, well, did you ever read Torrance's pamphlet on the ministry of women in the church? Oh, he said, I can't agree with any of that. I said, why? So because he had just locked into this idea that Christ was a man and, the, and therefore only men can be priests, and therefore that's why he left uh, the Anglican church. But he's missed the whole point that I just made, you see? So, But he couldn't live with that fact, and I think that's the real issue right there. There are, there are people that just will not accept that the, the, the openness, if I can call it, of, of Christ's forgiving grace, such that there's no reason why women could not be ordained priests in the Catholic Church. Does that make sense? It makes sense, yeah. I'm not but, sure exactly where the opposition would be so firmly entrenched. Well, well I, I, I think churches. it's like, I even had a friend years ago, she said, I could never see women as priests, you know, because they just have the power. Well, maybe the women you know, but it's, <laughs> it's not necessarily the case. It doesn't have to be that way. Do you see my point? Listen, so, we have friends. So I think some... it's culturally. I think it culturally, it's entrenched for so many centuries in the Catholic Church. That's that's not going to be an easy thing to uh, to uh, evangelize people over, if I can put it that way. Well, let me tell you something right now. Some of my friends are probably not going to speak to me just because we're doing this. <laughs> I have friends that won't take communion from a woman. You know, really, so, really. <laughs> <laughs> Dear. I, see, show, see. I could show you a couple upstairs, but now if I can <laughs> I'm not gonna name names, but if I can respond to that, I would say well, you know, Torrance says he says um that our minds our minds are the things the realities that need healing by Christ's forgiving grace. He says by the blood of Christ. He said he said he said the Greeks uh, used to uh, think that that uh, all of our thoughts, all of our culture, springs from our human, from our minds first, right? And it's um, in our minds that we're alienated from God, 
And to me, that's a sign that we really are alienated from God in our minds and hearts, and that's what needs healing. We need to encounter and allow Christ's forgiving grace to, to really transform that. That's my view on that. For whatever that's worth, so they'll probably hate me even more. Yeah. <laughs> well, that might be, but I have God, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be whatever, unfriended or whatever. The fact that women couldn't vote during World War One—that's true. Yeah, that's so true. This is—it's—it's it's beyond these conversations run deep in society. I know Mike's going to be fussing at me because he can't hear me. Right, and we're but, running out of time for our segment today, but, but well, just. Last point, your book again, when does it come out? What's the publisher? Where can you get it? Okay, so my book is Freedom, Necessity, and the Knowledge of God in conversation with Carl Barth and Thomas F. Torrance. It's coming out from T&T Clark Bloomsbury. It was actually released on December 30th. Uh, last year, can I say that? It's, yeah, sure. It sounds a long time ago, but it's I, only, I, only a little over a week. Yeah, uh, 10 days so, ago. Yeah, right. It just was released by T&T Clark on December 30th. And uh, it can be gotten, uh, if you uh, anybody who's interested in it, you're be- better off to go directly to the Bloomsbury Publishing website because they're discounting it by 10%. And uh, Amazon is charging too much. They're charging $14 over the list price, over the discounted price, which I think is terrible. Mm-hmm. Ro- robbery, yes. <laughs> you said uh, it, not me. I don't know. It might be. Uh, well, but it's just silly. If people are paying for it, I guess there's nothing. It's wrong it's, it. it's 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 silly. It's silly though. They so go so if, if you're interested, um, go directly to uh, go directly to the to the Bloomsbury website, and you'll get it fourteen dollars cheaper than it's selling for on Amazon. Okay. Um, in any case, it's sold by a whole load of book companies. Okay. Because it's um, it's just it's out there. This is a major publisher. This is their by the way their two hundredth uh two two hundredth anniversary publishing T and T Clark. And T.T. Clark was the publisher of Karl Barth's Church Dogmatics. His, that was his major work. It was, I think, 13 volumes, over 9,000 pages. And he didn't live to finish it. He, he, did, he did the Doctrine of the Word of God, the Doctrine of God, the Doctrine of Creation, four volumes, the Doctrine of Reconciliation, four volumes. And he meant to write the Doctrine of uh, Redemption, another several volumes, but he died at 80, I think it was 80 or 81 years of age, you know. There was a, and then I, he, by the, a couple of years earlier, he'd retired. Because you can only do that kind of work so long, and then you lose your concentration, you know, when you get really old and feeble. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> well, Professor, you helped me lose a few friends this, today. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. You know, but, uh, well, I hope you won't have to unfriend me because of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, we'll talk again in a few months, but thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Sure, happy to do so. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. 
Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for. Because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Well, we're coming again to the end of... Uh, another ask the lawyer and you know we didn't talk we did talk a little bit about state planning today but we also talked about the da in, in manhattan but michael if somebody wants to learn about estate planning where do they access our youtube seminar i mean the easiest for a starter segment if you want is to go to youtube.com and just search up connors and sullivan video seminar that's going to give you a, a basically good introduction to everything you should be thinking about as you plan out your estate. And, you know, remember that the first consultation with us is free. So after you look at that seminar and if you're thinking, well, there are some things that I just really need to do, uh, give us a call, 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. And again, if you want to check out the Toy Soldier collections, we should update that in any event. How many people? Well, we got 254,000 hits. Right. We got to up it. We got to up yeah, it. Yeah, we got to up that. So if you get there, take a shot at it. What, the, what's that Matthew McConaughey quote from Wolf of Wall Street? You know, those are rookie numbers. You got to bump no, them up. No, we got to no, get no. to the millions. is not bad. <laughs> so, and, and listen, if anybody wants to see the Toy Soldier collection, we've we've moved all the Toy Soldiers into the Brooklyn office, and we have you know not to schedule tours, but we have tours of it. So if you want to see. You know, the the toy soldiers, give a call to our Brooklyn office, ask for Maria, and she'll schedule a time for you to, you know, to show you the, it's the military and miniatures. We, we are expanding a little bit in terms of time periods. So, you know, I mean, everyone knows that Dad's specialty is Civil War, American Civil War. But, um, well, I'm shipping off some to be painted for uh, Roman history, medieval history. We've also got the Battle of Culloden over here, so... That's Scottish history for That's for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're and Vikings mom, for us all. Own, yeah. And mom's got her own little revolutionary war collection as well. So <laughs> And we do yeah. have uh, of course the thing is it's not based on the actual battle, but we do have a, a little diorama about the Battle of Newton Station. Oh yeah. We're course, working I've, on some good I based stuff. our diorama on that from the movie. Yeah. The horse soldiers. Not the actual because my understanding the actual in it. 20 guys came, 20 union guys came in dressed as Confederates and just took the town out of shot fire. messed up now, the railroad. We do, right. we do have a family connection to that, don't we? Yeah, yes, we do. Oh, and we'll talk yes, about that next time. But in any event, Beth, That's I think fun. next week we should do a show, um, or at least part of, part of the show, where we talk about some of the different interviews we've done over the years. 
Oh yeah, we've got some some good stuff up on YouTube, and it's fun. If you know how to to get to YouTube, you can find all kinds all kinds of our fun stuff. You've got the 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 interviews, some of our favorite interviews. You've got then the toy soldiers, uh, you know, beautiful, great pictures of the of around the office, and then you've got the seminar, which is you know down and dirty. Okay, so if again, if you want to do any estate planning, you need a will, you need a power of attorney. You got a relative in a nursing home. You're not sure how we're going to pay for it in the long run. You got to plan your estate. God forbid you have somebody who died without a will or with the will. Give us a call at Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. See you on the same stations next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.